Hello, and welcome to Her Return, a podcast devoted to returning to your feminine essence through embodiment practices, sensual explorations, and unifying the feminine and masculine energies within. I'm your host, Lindsay Curtis. I am so excited to introduce you to Nisha Gill of Feminine Instincts. She is a Melbourne-based perinatal specialist who offers embodied birth education, doula support, counseling, somatic experiencing, and a range of bodywork modalities. Nisha's flavor is one of full embodiment, and her special sauce is in facilitating access to the primal realm in order to cultivate a felt sense of confidence for birth. Her years of teaching a form of tantric yoga for women, training in ecstatic birth and other approaches have evolved into a unique offering known as Primal Mama, Embodied Birth Education. This aims to cultivate deep trust in the instinctual nature of birth, pregnancy, and the fourth trimester, while exploring the use of sensuality and sexuality to facilitate the birthing process. Nisha's work in the field of trauma also focuses on embodiment and honoring our primal roots. She specializes in birth and sexual trauma resolution with developmental trauma often in the mix. Nisha works with individuals, couples, and groups in person and online. And I'm so excited for this conversation today. Hello, 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 Nisha. I am so excited to be sitting here with you today. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Lindsay. Isn't it funny how we meet on the interweb? I mean, (laughs) yeah, the world's just shrinking, isn't it, over time? Amazing. (laughs) Yes, absolutely love it. And we share the common mentor of Devashi, who's actually on this podcast in episode number two, I sit down with Devashi. So that's how we came into touch together. And your work is absolutely amazing. And I'm so excited to dive just right into it. So with that, tell us about birth. Like, what is it that has led you in your life to have this passionate experience to be a birth worker? Mm, A very convoluted path, actually. Um, I wanted to work with babies and mothers probably for as long as I can remember. Maybe even as a toddler, I was so drawn to other babies. (laughs) Mm. And I did the very traditional thing. I had a mainstream job. Although it was with people, I worked as a speech pathologist for many decades, but kept um, hankering after more more um, holistic way of working with people and finally got up the courage to kind of leave my job. Oh, actually, I did that in depth, but I started to train in a range of bodywork modalities and counselling um, and did that for a while in two fields and then increasingly in the more holistic field. And then I um, went through some turbulent times in my life in around 2011. I was seeking ways to come to terms with who I was as a woman, my sexuality, and um, attended a workshop with Devashi. Um, and then a series of women's retreats over nine months with her. And after that, trained in what she uh, taught then called Tigris Yoga mm-hmm. um, and worked worked in that field for a number of years, um, specialising in the birthing version. Mm. Because, because I'd had... Um, 
really um, empowering birth myself a long time ago now. My sons are um, 33 and 29 going on 40. <laughs> and um, uh, I just realized how potent these practices were as the preparation. So teaching the embodiment practices actually um, finally catapulted me to working in birth, the training as a doula and birth educator and um, um, more in the perinatal um, part of the bodywork realm and also as an ecstatic birth practitioner. And as well as that, it, um, it made me aware of how much trauma is around when we dive into our bodies. And so I trained also as, an, uh, as a somatic experiencing practitioner, trauma resolution practitioner, mm. which is mostly where my work is now pivoted. And um, I specialize in birth and sexual trauma with developmental trauma, often in the mix. Mm-hmm. And I'm currently deepening and working with postnatal families, including the babies. So it's quite a varied sort of a practice that I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, the embodiment practices, I was just going to say, have evolved into my own version, which I call Primal Mama, which is the birthing version, and an Embody, Embody Woman series, which um, is for women in general at any stage of life. and. They're, they're actually very parallel to the somatic experiencing approach where it's all about embodiment and also about um, experiencing our emotions, our feelings at a somatic level. So, yeah, it's all kind of drawn uh, together with a very nice thread these days, which I'm very grateful for because um, there's so many different trainings one can do but I guess uh, my natural bent is to go to the more embodied end of the holistic realm Mm. yeah Mm, love it and how everything weaves together to make this beautiful tapestry of support Mm. Um, in that actually like you mentioned being an ecstatic birth practitioner so what is that ecstatic birth and what does it mean to be a practitioner of that how do you support women yeah well actually I don't even use that title I just weave that in and once again the the learning I had from the lovely Sheila Kamara Hay um, who's Mm -hmm. over in the U.S. I guess you know there's primal birth there's ecstatic and people talk about orgasmic birth and I do see them all in a similar basket and maybe a slight uh, shift in, in emphasis. So with ecstatic birth, it would be, to my way of thinking, undisturbed birth. Although some people would argue you can have ecstatic birth even with a cesarean. It's more about, you know, the heart opening and the transcendent sort of quality of birth, um, maybe transformative quality as well in there. So that. I guess is ecstatic birth, but the way I was taught is very much about embodiment and also using sensuality, sexuality as birthing tools, mm-hmm. um, which then overlaps with what I learned from Davishi and um, the more primal end of things. And I guess with primal birth, just to venture into a definition that I, I would um, share is uh, the ability to really be totally in the body and meet the intensity of birth or that full cocktail of birthing hormones working, you know, in, in the person's favour. Mm. So not kind of um, dissociating and using distractions and uh, ways to minimise the actual roar of birth, if you like. 
Mm. Um, yeah. And then, and then there's orgasmic birth, which is a similar category in my mind, uh, where there's perhaps the added piece of sexual energy coursing through uh, the birthing person's body and not usually peak orgasm, but, um, and I don't mean, you know, by that uh, people who <laughs> might use a vibrator to induce orgasm and then get the uh, labour and birth happening, mm. but more um, uh, that natural current that's there and can be cultivated very much through practices um, like the ones you and I have learnt from Devishi. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and. I mean, I would say I've supported women um, as a doula with all of these different states and they are fluid and, of course, they're, they're personal definitions. So they're all kind of in the same same vicinity, if you like, of birth. Mm. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Great. And so which brings me to what are the conditions necessary for example, for a woman to really experience a primal or ecstatic or orgasmic birth. Though, of course, we cannot go into it so much in a goal-seeking way. Yeah. Go searching totally. for orgasm, yeah. that's going to push it away or limit our experience of the full body wave-like motion that we can go into. But what would be the primary conditions necessary to set ourselves up for the best possible experience? Yeah, well, birth is an absolute mystery, so absolutely no guarantees, and that's something I definitely can't promise. But I really think it goes back to way before conception and how embodied is the person. Is she, for instance, practicing a form of yoga or movement meditation, which is from a male lineage, which has a precision focus, a very linear kind of flavor to it, more gymnastic in nature? Or does it truly honour that she's uniquely uh, in a uniquely female body? Does it allow for the fact that she's a cyclical being? Does it honour her feelings, you know, as a potent access point to her her true nature or, you know, uh, as a way that she can transmute those emotions with her body just through um, some very natural tools that she might have access to? Mm. and also, how does she relate to her cycle, her moon time, her menstruation? Does she have um, shame around her body or her bleeding? Um, does she tend to medicate it away? How, how is she with intensity in her body? Does she recognize and honor the potency of this time in her life and work around it? Or is it simply an inconvenience? And, um, you know, they're, they're the messages you and I know are <laughs> um, still prevalent in the dominant culture that... Um, would have us believe that we want to hide away the fact that we're women and on a very primal level. Um, and then there are things that um, people uh, can do prior to birth to begin that process of um, getting into that primal zone. Um, and I, when I support uh, couples um, through birth as a doula or birth educator, really suggest that they begin this um, kind of descent, I call it, by about 37 weeks of their pregnancy at the very latest because there are still people I know who um, kind of keep working till about a week before their baby might be due. Yeah. Um, And I really don't think that works so well if they're serious about um, um, having 
nature take its course and not being derailed by the by the obstetric world um so really to disengage from her thinking brain and to max out the pleasure the sensuality um the, the use of her five senses especially i would say touch and taste and smell which to me are probably the most primal of all the senses mm-hmm. um you know, to have a to-do list ticked off as well by about that time and to avoid that 11th hour rushing around and stressing and organising and planning and um, then also things like um, listening even to podcasts or watching birth videos and doing the reading and um, having all that behind her and staying off her social media apps, <laughs> undoing, um, you know, maybe even deleting them for that time when she's approaching birth and into the um, fourth trimester. Yeah. Um, and, and, and nature, nature is such an amazing um, tool for birth as well as for the preparation piece. And so I say get out there on the grass or in the dirt and preferably bare, barefoot mm. so that you really connect with that earth wisdom and um, um, derive that support from from the earth as you're birthing and preparing and getting getting acquainted with that support beforehand well beforehand mm-hmm. um, and then there's all, all the other things that um, they can also do with other people like partners can um, do a lot of nuzzling and spooning to get the oxytocin flowing and to get help the um, person get into her sensuality and to do it as often as they can. And, you know, partners often like having a role, a, a sort of a, a helpful role, if you like. And I can't think of a nicer way to be helpful than to cuddle up with someone in preparation for birth. Yes, and everyone uh, loves nuzzles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're so underrated. <laughs> totally, totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's all kinds of other things um, that they can also support that um, rising of the oxytocin dial, um, nurturing sensual massage or embodiment practices, of course. When I have taught Primal Mama, they've actually been clients of mine who specifically requested the uh, one-off class just prior to, you know, when they were about to have their baby so that they didn't have this um, threat of a medical induction over them. Mm. And I've had a few actually just come along to that, a class and then um, because it's such an oxytocin bath anyway yes. that things just start to progress on their own and that's... Oh, it's so gratifying to see that, you know, happen when it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and another big piece, because I've also always got in the background my trauma hat and just watching for how they're, um, how settled they are and within their nervous systems and bodies. So resolving um, fears and trauma of any origin well before birth, I would say. Yeah. And there's a whole, whole lot they can do during labour and I can talk about that as well. Um, because some of these things I think the birthing world has certainly cottoned on to, but some of them I find in practice, um, you know, there's just lip service to these things. And, uh, for instance, the idea of dim lighting, when I've supported women in, say, a hospital birth, sometimes it's a little bit token. They haven't realised that there's still this bright blue spectrum lighting you know are getting in the road and and we know from science that 
it doesn't help with uh, the pro progression of um, labor. Mm -hmm. um, so quite basic things like that. And um, importantly, you know, I, while I inherently know that um, for me, home birth is the, is the safest and um, most conducive way to birth my babies. Um, I think it's important for the woman to decide herself, the birthing mother, um, where she feels the safest. Because if she feels persuaded to have a home birth, most women wouldn't, I think. They'd, they'd find a way not to have that if they weren't feeling safe about it. Right. But I think either, either hospital or home or any other kind of birth needs to be um, made from that very uh, basic um, nervous system level of where do I feel the safest and where do I also feel the most connected to myself to my baby and to my birth team because mm. they're two vital pieces I think in birth that connection piece but the safety comes even before connection and then having a birth team that know how to give her the right kind of reassurance on that psycho-emotional level to continue the sense of uh, the safe bubble I've mentioned lighting before and I really encourage uh, mamas to have their eyes closed so that they can focus and go more inward. And um, even uh, to the extent that if they do transfer to a hospital to have their baby, to either have their sunglasses on, keep their eyes closed or have an eye mask on to, <laughs> during the transit, no matter how they look, just so that they maximise the, you know, the, the oxytocin um, surge and continue on in a progressive sort of way and not have labour stall in that um, transition. Uh, other things that have been well known are warmth and privacy, of course, and not, not consenting to a whole lot of people like students. I know so students have to learn somewhere, but, you know, if that, I, I can't imagine that anyone would feel more relaxed having a team of people watching them in labour, to be honest. Unless they're completely, completely in primal zone and oblivious to it, well, that's a different thing. But um, I think just uh, a sort of intimate group of uh, people supporting them is far, far more conducive <laughs> than a whole, whole lot of um, bystanders observing. So, and then also things like um, language and minimal conversation. I um, very much encourage uh, other birth workers when I'm. Mm -hmm. teaching them about birth and trauma mm -hmm. is to really minimize that um, conversation and talking to just asking very closed-ended questions so for instance rather than saying what would you like keeping it really uh, very simple for the person who isn't already in that regressed state and you want to increase that um, state to just ask would you like a or b rather than you know kind of having them go back up into their neocortex to kind of find the answer which is um taking them out of that zone right. um, uh, and i was going to say um powerful powerful tools my three go-to's are um extended exhale with um, vocalizations mm -hmm. and intuitive movement or movement that that um uh aims for comfort and pleasure um, so they're kind of um, three things I think are very tantric if you think about it, uh, you know, that kind of way of intuiting and um, or um, really just feeling into the body and knowing 
um, how your body wants to move uh, that feels um, comfortable, pleasurable. Um, and um, there are other pieces that I think a lot of the workers do know about, which is having relaxed pursed lips and um, relaxing jaws and throat, which are kind of linked to the pelvis. Soothing and arousing touch is another thing to bring in, which you know partners can help with. Certainly arousal can um, help with tissue engorgement, which can ease, um, make the tissues a bit more pliable and ease things a little bit um, in the pelvis. And also avoiding talking numbers, so back to that linear thing of time, what, how long it's been or how many centimeters dilated in some places people have um, been wise enough to cover up the clocks around and um, using you know as as much of um, the five senses to remain present in the body so music might be part of it but I do find that not many people unless it's an, a prolonged labor <laughs> get to the music piece because they're they're engrossed enough in <laughs> in the moment that they don't even notice that they forgot their playlist <laughs> but essential oils is another piece you know like it's the um, olfactory sense which brings us back into our body into the present moment and then avoiding hunger avoiding thirst keeping really well hydrated Wearing something that feels soft and silky and sensual, again, reminding us that we're in a physical body, um, anything that makes a person feel good to be in her skin. And um, during birth to any kind of um, settling touch, whether it's a doula or midwife or partner, whoever might be supporting that person in birth, um, learn to respond in ways that are, that are you know, um, keeping them in that sort of primal bubble rather than distracting in any way. So the communication comes in there and reading body language, of course. Um, yeah, so they're kind of my go-tos. And um, it, it is a little bit horses for courses. Some people gravitate to some of these ideas and not all of them, but um, we go through um, to get a sense of what how they can make this birth their own and yeah just I think the preparation is so huge for most couples especially the birthing person there are a lot of boxes to tick but if they can come back to their body and not keep deferring you know to to experts around them because I feel the more I've noticed that the more um, practitioners a birthing mother has as a team leading up to birth it kind of tells me the less um, in her body or the less confident often she is in her body, unless, of course, there is a, um, uh, a reason like, you know, um, some kind of physical issue that they're dealing with in pregnancy, pelvic girdle in instability or something of that nature. But if there's a lot of shopping around to call on a lot of experts to support them, I feel it's a sign that they're really not trusting their body at that point. Mm. Yeah. Wow. A lot <laughs> and gives a really great snapshot for the woman who or the couple that is interested in, in having this more connected primal experience to yeah, start with safety. Where do you feel the safest and exactly what conditions can 
arise that deeper settling into the nervous system of the safety and then mm. um, with everything you've given looking for that also in the team that you're putting together to support you in birth so is everybody on the same page as far as these very important parts about being in the intuitive part of ourselves this connection to embodiment the soothing sexual part as well mm. Mm. yes Beautiful. Yeah, because I very much <laughs> prefer to work at that preventative end. And, yeah. um, you know, there's nothing like um, seeing uh, um, a woman start pregnancy with a whimper and come out the other end with a roar. It's, it's something to behold. And I've, I've watched a few, um, witnessed a few women do this. And it's, it's quite something, you know, to see them take up that opportunity through the portal of birth to really come into their own it's um yeah it's amazing and to set themselves up for that level of confidence as they start their parenting journey is quite beautiful to witness yes and and how birth isn't just the birth of a child but it's also the birth of a mother absolutely yeah 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 and the, and the partner. And the partner, yes, of course. If we're being heteronormative, the father, yeah. but not always, yeah. Yes, um, yeah, totally, because I, I feel, you know, um, ah, sometimes they need to be all things to that person um, and the birthing person sometimes might forget that it's also their rite of passage and it's new territory for them. Mm. And I, I guess I am very biased around how um, doulas have such a huge role to support people through the best birth they can have um, unless they're fortunate enough to have a um, home birth midwife who's filling that role. But if the birthing partner is not settled, then it does reflect, you know, we, we um, co-regulate all the time. Our nervous systems speak to one another on that very primal animal level and so without even opening her eyes, she will pick up the um, unsettledness of the birthing partner. Mm. So they need to do their inner work as well in the preparation part of things and preferably have some support if they need it in birth. That's a possibility. Mm, such a great point and super interesting. For me personally, as my partner and I prepare for conception, we've been discussing birth and all these um, many different aspects of becoming parents. And we were talking about how I couldn't imagine anything but a home birth. <laughs> and and mm. explaining this is where I feel the safest. First of all, when I go to the hospital for any reason, even I, his mother actually works at the hospital, so sometimes I'll go and visit her. Or, or if I have to do something, my whole nervous system closes and shuts down. <laughs> so I couldn't yeah. doing the most intimate thing of birth in the hospital. But also, yeah, mm. how do we bring our partners into the journey even more? So do you have any recommendation for the woman that is interested in this primal experience and how she can invite her partner or um, anybody that is supporting her in the birth into that experience? Um, I, I think the uh, preparation part is vitally important because it's not much good doing it just before birth and trying mm. to switch someone's way of thinking and being, but to have that education um, well before, you know, birth is imminent mm. and um, getting 
uh, across why um, birth, birthing in that way for a start is um, important for the whole family, especially for baby, to have that early um, imprint of, of birth that's undisturbed and um, the, how the whole piece is primal and, you know, everything that we do with calendars and clocks and timelines, it's all superimposed on the fact that we're really mammals at the heart of, at the core of it all. And um, mm. it's only been in the last couple of hundred years that, you know, birth has been medicalized. So to, to <laughs> leave things be is probably the best, um, best option if, if we're wanting um, our babies to thrive. Mm. Um, but for partners, I feel they like to have a role, but they need to have gentle encouragement. When I first started as a doula, I had this bag of tools, you know, different spinning babies and mm. um, birth body work tools and, and all the rest and acupressure. And I would set about doing it and the partners might come along or not for for the ride but now I'm I really hang back and I um just am more the holder of the space and I really encourage them to be the doers because they kind of like to have a role in that sense and even just with a massage and touch really putting them in the forefront because um it, when they understand that their touch is just helping you know with the oxytocin and and uh smoother labor Mm-hmm. it's a powerful place to be you know like it's so simple but it is potent mm-hmm. um and so the education i think is a vital piece and how it's presented i find that a lot of education is geared towards the politics of birth the psychology which is important but the the more uh, warding off the threats kind of thread if you like you know mm-hmm. um how to how to navigate the hospital system and and to me, that's, that's almost like putting people in this hypervigilant state. Now, what's the next thing that uh, obstetrician or midwife are going to say that we're going to have to <laughs> um, argue against or mm. um, w- whatever the case may be? So rather than putting the emphasis really on getting into their bodies. And while I haven't uh, taught couples, uh, birthing couples, in a group, you know, with more embodiment practices, I certainly have done that a one-on-one. So teach um, the couples how um, they can encourage breath and sound and all those things. Um, I, I also do birth body work where um, um, there's intra- vaginal work to help prepare the body for birth and teach partners how to do that. So the ones who are really on that page are more than happy to be involved at that level but it, it's couching it in terms of how all of this is going to help uh, with not just their partner, but the, um, you know, the, the smooth arrival of their baby on planet Earth. And, yeah. um, and they're more than willing to be involved usually. So, yeah, um, yeah it's that education, I think, well prior to birth. Mm, I love that. And I love this distinction of the hypervigilant state that is so often evoked through the education versus putting the emphasis on this primal connection and setting up the space to be the best as we mm. can possibly. Because mm. um, it's, yeah, because it's like that idea of what you put, you put your attention to. Yeah. 
And what comes for me is like how we can sometimes frame things in a negative way saying, oh, I, I don't feel good. Well, if you don't feel good, what is it that you feel? And then suddenly I can take more responsibility and saying, okay, well, I feel a bit sad or whatever that may be, but how can I frame everything with actually what is going on instead of what isn't going on? <laughs> yes, yes. Which brings me to this whole embodiment um, part, which is in, you know, the training you and I have received, but also um, in somatic experiencing the the approach I use with trauma is exactly about that, bringing your awareness to what's going on without um, overlaying a judgment on it, like good or bad. Mm-hmm. And when, when you place your awareness there, you notice that things actually aren't static. They shift and they move and they diminish or they grow or they move to a different part of the body or mm-hmm. they can be transmuted with sound and breath and other tools. Mm-hmm. So same way in birth, you know, it's very, very possible to meet intensity and what we perceive as pain, but then have those tools or just meeting with awareness and see what happens from there. It doesn't, it doesn't stay um, at the same level of intensity right through say you have a 10-hour labor it's not it's not static it's always shifting and changing Mm. and um, not preempting anything but keeping in that and the more primarily we're present so you know time kind of um, becomes a bit warped it kind of stands still and the intensity uh, does kind of keep us in the present moment Mm. especially when there's not fear and anticipation um, of the next stage, <laughs> you know, like the crowning of the baby's head or some, some kind of fear response that might have crept in from just the general ambiance of the birthing culture, I guess. Mm. Um, then if they can stay in the present moment um, and ride the waves as they come along, um, time really does uh, seem very, very skewed. And, yeah, it's just that much easier to, to manage the whole labor and birth when we are able to maximize the benefit of um, all those amazing hormones that float through because we haven't tampered with birth you know the endorphins which put us in that um, transcendent state anyway plus the oxytocin that love hormone connection and bonding (laughs) Um, yeah it's an amazing space to be in and I think um, anyone who's worked in birth knows that very well when things are going well and the room is kind of suffused with oxytocin, it's a very, um, very inviting place to be. And it's a hard place to leave at the end of the day. <laughs> yes. Love me some oxytocin. Mm. Yeah. And um, I just want to touch on this importance of time. And a few years ago, I took a workshop with my teacher, Catherine Schoenberg, uh, where we did dr- dreaming and imagery all about time and how there are so many different aspects of time. Yes, we have the linear time, but that's only one. And yeah. I love that you recommend to cover all the clocks and to mm. say nothing about any numbers because right mm. then and there, we can get into the cyclical time. We can get into the vertical reality of time. We can get into something so otherworldly and beyond mm. just our linear yes. framework. So. Mm, thank you for that emphasis. Mm, yes. <laughs> it works. It works. <laughs> yeah. I love it. yeah. Mm. 
And we don't have any clocks in our house except for the one on the stove. So I love that. Um, mm. Okay, so let's touch on birth trauma then. So you've mentioned a couple of times somatic experiencing and how we can kind of go through um, clearing and beginning to address our trauma. But what would you like to say about what birth trauma is and how we may heal from it? Yeah, yeah. There's quite a few layers to this, um, uh, as you can imagine. So I guess even starting with a definition of trauma for um, uh, some people, it, it just spells like more the extreme end of what's referred to as PTSD, which is actually a diagnosis um, from the American Psychiatric Association. So it's very much um, a, a label and it's considered a mental health disorder, which I don't subscribe to. I feel it's, very, it's a um, normal reaction to an overwhelming situation where uh, from a neurophysiological perspective, our nervous system hasn't known that the, the challenge or the threat is over. And so parts of our brain are, are, are threat detected, doesn't kind of not shut down, but rest down, I should say. It doesn't um, calm down because uh, there's a, a sense that things are continuing on and it needs to be on high alert. And so they, the, the catchphrase is, um, it's too much, something that's happened that's too much for mm-hmm. um, our system to cope with. Um, it's happened too fast for us to integrate and it's happened too soon or too suddenly for us to kind of be prepared in our in our system and our primal bodies to deal with the threat, mm. um, and basically a protective survival response that hasn't kind of switched off over time. And to me, it's really not so much about the narrative, but more about that nervous system response. I know that in uh, the field, a lot of people talk about other approaches, um, which are very much like I call it from the I eyebrows up so very neocortically driven and retelling the story and such like and um, for me it's both a kind of a bottom up you know the body speaking to the mind and then the mind um, the adult witness in us um, um, helping integrate any shifts and and coming to some understanding of what's happened Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea that, you know, we, we've been thrown out of our coping bandwidth or what people might call functional range window of tolerance. And to be honest, I would say that most births are overwhelming mm-hmm. for both mother, mother, baby, partner, uh, but not necessarily traumatic. And I think the big, um, one of the big things is that, you know, whole settling that sort of sense of completion of that response needs to happen. So when people are stuck in a trauma loop, there's no sense of returning to equilibrium or, you know, kind of um, the system coming back into balance. Honestly, you can have a traumatic home birth. You can have a blissful cesarean. That's not um, the defining point and it's not what it looks like from the outside. But of course, with the higher intervention levels, um, we do see more birth uh, trauma rates. Um, And curiously, the research is showing that um, instrumental uh, forceps and vacuum extraction births uh, produce higher rates of trauma than uh, C-sections. Right. Mm. Which does make sense to me, I think. Um, you know, just that sort of anticipation of the 
pain and the um, yeah all, all the rest with forceps for instance yeah. um, and then the other thing I also come across a lot having worked in birth and trauma is when we go into that regressed state in birth the, the lid if you like on all of the material from our past comes off to some extent you know we hold things together quite tightly um, and especially if there's been early or developmental trauma some of this can come up in birth um, and when there's been traumatic birth it's kind of amplified even more and so I do find that often when I work with someone who's had birth trauma there's often a developmental piece going on in there as well and so it becomes quite an interesting mix to work with mm -hmm. and the other thing I wanted to say is that I actually don't use words like heal because it implies um, you know there's a final destination with um, moving forward from the symptoms of trauma um, it really is an opportunity for growth and, and to get to know ourselves on deeper levels this whole um, pathway to moving on from those symptoms or mm -hmm. starting to reverse them at some point and and my my bias as you can hear is that it really needs to be an integrated mind body or body mind approach um, yeah just um, mm -hmm. involves quite a few pieces and um, um, I, I do find that Oh, isolation and shame are two big features of um, birth trauma or any kind of trauma, but particularly when people are so isolated anyway, we don't have the village around us. We're left to our own devices as young parents to make sense of it, let alone make sense of this overwhelming experience um, that um, becomes quite a tricky thing because then the tendency to reach out and seek the support that they need is also that much more difficult mm -hmm. you know, when there's um, isolation and shame involved yeah I, I think also working with the whole family is important because as I alluded to before in the birth space you know um, we're all co-regulating with each other and so even more so the um, partners and birthing person and babies and whoever else is in the family are all kind of um, affecting each other so if if a parent and even if it's the male parent or, or the partner male female whoever um, who is impacted but not the birthing person um, it's really important that that's dealt with early because they are going to impact on baby at some level definitely and, um, we're an intimate yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so I I um, feel it's not enough to simply talk about it or to journal and to reason and try to reframe the whole experience mm -hmm. um, and particularly catharsis and touch and energy therapies on their own I don't feel necessarily touch the sides of trauma I think there needs to be a whole resolution at that body somatic nervous system level as well mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah there is a practice of bringing people who've had birth trauma into group and um you know unresolved birth trauma and talking about it and um, sometimes <laughs> i do wonder where that wisdom emerged from because i i can't imagine anything worse than one person another. <laughs> uh, triggering each other in a group like that mm. Mm. Yeah. i want to touch on that because actually i saw you had posted something on 
um, social media the other day about witnessing so many people marketing themselves right now with this word trauma, um, trauma resolution. The nervous system. The, yes. the nervous system. And I, I loved what you said. And I just wanted to bring in also as I, the, so I'm a dreaming and imagery practitioner and I'm trained in the Sapphire method of, of dreaming with my teacher, Catherine Chainberg and come from a long, long lineage of the Kabbalah of light. And a few years ago, I realized that my passion and, and one of the things I'm so passionate about is working with people with trauma and specifically sexual trauma um, as I've journeyed through that as well. And Catherine said to me, that's great. And keep doing it, but don't market it. And I was like, okay. And she was like, I know you don't want to hear this, but do it for 10, mm -hmm. 10 years and then begin to call people in because people will come to you anyway. People are going to feel you. Yeah. The universe is going to send them, but there's no need to call out for it until mm -hmm. you have this wealth and wealth and wealth of experience. And I was mm -hmm. so grateful that she said that. And it just, that illuminated for me again when I was reading your post. Is there anything else you'd like to comment about that? I, I guess it's a nuances, you know, there are um, a lot of us come to this work as wounded healers mm. and there's a tendency to um, say, well, this worked for me, this really worked for me and therefore it should work for everyone else. <laughs> no matter what kind of trauma, no matter what kind of um, complicated history they may have, um, because we all bring so many layers to this point in our lives um, and to just kind of uh, extrapolate from our own experience and that whole transference thing, it's, it's quite a dangerous thing, I think. And I'm, I'm just speaking in general terms here. Yeah. So yeah, just to be really careful that just because, um, you know, uh, some kind of shamanic journey helped um, uh, me as a person in my, with my trauma, it doesn't mean that it's, the right thing for somebody else um there are just too many variables involved involved here and the big piece is um um i guess not tipping people out of that coping range but mm. by the same token um understanding uh the nuances so that you're not uh, also um keeping them in cotton wool you're actually learning about their their uh, bandwidth so that you stretch them to their edges but not um, so much that they get tipped over the edge yeah. um, but by the same token we don't keep it too <laughs> too soft and unchallenging that um, there is no growth in it mm -hmm. so that's the art form I guess of um, working with trauma and working um, on a somatic level so um, yeah so that uh, bottom up top down where um you're integrating the mind the body and the other piece was something like catharsis which is um quite a popular approach the emotional release work and so forth um is that um the adult witness is not necessarily online so the person can go into quite a regressed uh, um Date, you know, from their past to um, a more um, a younger self, if you like, mm -hmm. and then that integration process doesn't happen as easily. And in, in catharsis, there's also addictive quality where dopamine is involved <laughs> when you know when someone catharsis, and 
what else to say? Yeah, uh, yeah I think just being um, clear about trauma informed versus trauma trained and where have they trained and what's their training and <laughs> who are their teachers um, or the school that they've trained in because you know there I've seen too that um, there are non-trauma trained professionals who maybe worked with the body for a long time but then they're teaching other people in a five-day training to work with trauma and I'm thinking wow <laughs> that's a, that's a big ask it's a lot of space to hold in a very short time without really even having a clear definition of what trauma is so yeah it, it's some, something i feel strongly about because i just working with people know i'm learning so much every day from clients and every client so different um and um you know um I continue personally I think there's no end to learning in whichever field you're in of course but I um, have access to supervision just because I know there's always going to be um, clients that challenge me and I want to do the best I can for them so really um, having that back up all the time uh, whenever I need to kind of um, access people with a lot more experience to just kind of um, reassure me that I'm on the right path with my clients and you know often the the thing the biggest thing with trauma is to really convince our, our clients that less is more and slower it's faster that piece is so difficult for people to appreciate especially when they've been locked out of their bodies and their bodies are a war zone and they're just sick and tired of being sick and tired <laughs> They want a quick fix. And so that part is, even for me sometimes, you know, I feel, huh, can't, can't I just um, somehow, you know, fast track this for them because they're just losing so much um, um, hope, essentially, you know, that, that light at the end of the tunnel becomes too dim for them to keep going and um, I need to dig deep to keep shining it more brightly for them <laughs> and so that's part of the challenge of working in trauma as well I find mm -hmm. and also um Catherine is saying this all the time how we need to clean and we need to build and we bring these two parts together we clear a little bit and then we build ourselves up and that's what tends to make the journey seem really slow and really long, but it's mm. going to be sustainable. And so for all of our listeners that feel any sort of resonance to any sort of trauma, giving this a uh, little bit of education in there, allow it to be the sustainable lifelong journey, because I love what you said, Nisha, it's not about healing like there's an end point, but there's a continually mm. unfolding and becoming more and more integrated as a full mm. being. Mm. Yeah, yeah, lovely. <laughs> so beautiful. Um, great. So let's begin to wrap ourselves up here. We've covered so much touching on primal birthing and the 
wonderful circumstances we can set up for that to happen and safety and oxytocin, oxytocin, oxytocin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Bubble it up. Yeah. (laughs) The the, the endogenous variety, not the synthetic. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Very different. So, Anisha, if you connect into it right now, what is one last um, piece of wisdom that you would love to leave us with today? I think really not forgetting that we're these highly, highly intelligent mammals. And when I say intelligent, I mean whole body intelligent. <laughs> and to really honour that part of us um, because life gets far less complicated when uh, we don't get in our own way and we really honour that we have these nervous systems that are primed for survival, for connection, um, and to give ourselves some slack when we're not connecting as well as we'd like, but to um, Mm. to uh, allow our bodies to declare themselves more fully and that means uh, you know connecting in a way that's not just about going for a run or going to the gym or um, doing some kind of yoga that's very much about precision and (laughs) a military style if you like Uh, but really softening into what is present in the moment so um, learning to drop into our bodies and finding styles of meditation even that are not about leaving our body but more about inhabiting and and enjoying the fullness of who we are on in, in these beautiful beautiful bodies that we're given to to uh, navigate our lives um yeah less less escape more being right here and rooted to the earth um through our best feet i guess it's kind of um my plea because it it makes um so many ripples for especially the young families that are coming into the world there's so much that's um, mechanized and you look around at all all the um influences the smartphones that babies are playing with and Mm. the lack of grass and sand and water to play with it's so so sad so you know to come back to our roots there and and preserve this this um, mammalian sort of blueprint that we have because if we don't, something's going to give. Mm. Wow, thank you for that, receiving that in so, so deeply. Mm, thank you. I, I'm nearly in tears sharing my passion because I feel it so strongly. Yes. Oh, I love it. So tell us where we can connect with you and connect with more of your passion. And I'll include links. <laughs> going. Um, so I've got a website. It's called um, feminineinstincts.com.au because I'm in Australia. Uh, I've got a Facebook business page, which is um, also Feminine Instincts, but people can also befriend me because then I can share things more easily as Nisha Gill. Uh, I've got an Instagram account, Feminine Instincts. Um, I'm sure if you just write that, you'll find me. Mm-hmm. I do for people who are, um, especially if they're trauma symptoms, they're not really clear about where to go next. I do a 20-minute no-obligation and free conversation no matter where they are around the world, mm-hmm. and that is by, uh, by my website. And I, I also work... Um, 
online for uh, both trauma work and birth coaching. So lots of avenues these days, of course, for, for us to be found, which is kind of how we found each other. <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. So thank you so much, Nisha. And thank you, beautiful listeners. Be sure to check out and connect with Nisha. And um, it's such a pleasure to tune in with you. And I look forward to connecting with you again. Mm. Thank you so much, Lindsay, and for the beautiful work that you do in the world. Really, it's um, yeah, I've read quite a bit about what you do in your, on your website and listened to the other podcast recordings, and I can tell from that just who you are. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> All right, mm. we'll speak soon. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye now. I'm Lindsay Curtis, and you've been listening to Her Return, the podcast. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Please subscribe and review this podcast wherever you are listening and share today's episode with anyone interested in empowered and primal birthing. And if you'd like to learn more about my work in supporting women with dream birth, head on over to my website at www.herreturn.com forward slash dream birth. Until next time, may you return home to yourself today.